Welcome to Frontline Church, South Oklahoma City's podcast page, where each week we will upload a new sermon uh, from our current sermon series that we're in. If you have uh, any questions, concerns, um, or have a prayer request or need, you can email us at hello at frontlinechurch.com or visit our website, south.frontlinechurch.com. Thanks. The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 22. The word of God speaks to us. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? What if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is God's word to us. All right, guys, can uh, grab a seat. Uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Aaron Addison. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Frontline South. And uh, have you ever just taken time to sit and think about what heaven would be like, right? Uh, it, it, despite the fact that American beliefs and how they identify religiously have shifted over the last 20 years, really pretty consistently about 75 to 80% of Americans still believe that there is a heaven. And uh, Maria Shriver in her children's book, What's Heaven, kind of gives a good description of how millions of Americans think about heaven and what heaven's like. So she writes, heaven is a beautiful place where you can sit on soft clouds and talk to other people who are there. At night, you can sit next to the stars, which are the brightest of anywhere in the universe. If you're good throughout your life, then you get to go to heaven. When your life is finished here on earth, God sends angels down to take you up to heaven to be with him. Grandma is in a safe place with the stars, with God and the angels. She's watching over us from up there. So the idea, this is typically how Americans think about heaven, is heaven is this kind of spiritual paradise in the skies. So we maybe float around on clouds. Maybe we get wings and become angels we might send messages or signs to our loved ones on earth to let them know we're okay. Maybe we spend our days playing harps and become fat, naked babies. That's also a possibility. Um, 
right? We kind of have, it, what's fascinating is even if you don't go to church regularly, we typically kind of have this idea of what heaven is and what it's going to be like. Now, if you're uh, a follower of Jesus, you may have a slightly different view on this to where uh, instead of just being kind of this place like that, heaven becomes this eternal destination of Christians when they die. Um, so uh, though your body dies, your soul actually goes to be with Jesus in heaven. And maybe your idea of heaven's more like a, a giant worship service, right? It's like we're going to be singing to Jesus and praising Jesus over and over again for eternity. And maybe if you're really honest, you think, I don't know that that sounds really fun after the first like 20,000 years, but I guess I'm supposed to be excited about that. Um, and maybe that's kind of your idea. It's like, we're going to be in heaven. We're going to be worshiping Jesus, and that's going to be our life forever. And so for many Christians, heaven is what we call like our one true home. Uh, we long for the day where we get to leave the earth behind. We get to leave the brokenness that we experience here behind. And we get to go home. So just like the old song goes, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? Well, I want to pose a question. What if heaven is not our home? What if heaven is actually not the eternal destination for our souls? In fact, I would argue that the Bible actually tells a different story. Now, before I get booed off the stage, let me clarify. Heaven is a real place, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not being like, just, just whatever. I'm not saying that. Heaven is a real place. And, and really, the Bible describes heaven as a place where God's presence dwells. And in fact, the Bible's pretty clear that Christians do, in fact, go to heaven when they die. When Christians die, they go to be in the presence of Jesus, which is in heaven. But here's my point. The story doesn't end there. Like, that's the problem. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like we're watching a TV show and we stop at season two when there's season three and four coming. It's like you're missing actually the end of the story. And there's more going on. Heaven, as kind of this place we go, is more of a detour than it is a destination. It's not the place that we're aiming for that we're going to spend forever. Instead, the Bible looks forward to a day when something else is going to take place. Something the Bible calls the resurrection of the dead. I wish there was a shorter, easier word for it, but that's what it is. The resurrection of the dead. And so what do I mean by that? So the Bible looks forward to a day when Jesus is going to come back to this earth. And when Jesus comes back, he actually brings heaven with him. Heaven actually comes down to earth. And the Bible envisions a day that it calls there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And the idea is that Jesus comes and he's going to set all things right. That everything that you have experienced that's broken in this world, from sin to death to the way things just don't work the way that they should, Jesus is actually going to come and restore this world to the way that it was intended to be. And when that happens, there's going to be, at the time, all Christians who have died, the people who have died and gone to heaven, they actually come back to life. They actually are raised back from the dead, and they live on this renewed earth in resurrected, resurrected bodies. And so imagine, uh, imagine with me, not that we're just going to be floating in the clouds, 
without bodies, spirits, playing harps, whatever. But one day, if you are, uh, if you trust in Jesus, one day you are going to walk on this earth as it was meant to be. Just think about that for a minute. Uh, think about the fact that you're going to be breathing in the air of a world no longer infected by sin. You're going to be seeing the beauty of creation as God intended it to be. You're going to be using your body. You're going to smell things and see things and taste amazing food that is exactly the way God intended. You see, Jesus is not uh, shaping a story of somehow like, hey, you know what? Like Jesus is not a quitter. He's not going to be like, hey, you know what? The world is too broken. Let me just get some people out of here and throw that away. Jesus is like, I am going to transform everything by my power. Like, I'm going to fix what's broken. I'm not going to leave it. I'm going to work until it's right. And that's what Jesus does. And Jesus himself tells us about this day when we're going to be coming back to life and living in this new creation. So in John 5, uh, he's talking about the fact that when he speaks, people kind of come to life inside. And he says this, he says, don't marvel, marvel at this for an hour's coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, God's voice, and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And in fact, this idea of the resurrection of the dead was central to the message that the apostles preached. And so in the book of Acts, where we get to kind of see how the uh, followers of Jesus went and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, they're constantly talking about the resurrection of the dead. In fact, Paul kind of summarizes this when he's on trial and he's standing and explaining the message that he's preaching. He says, he says this in Acts 24, I confess to you that according to the way, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, and listen, having a hope in God that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And again, this is why Paul, it's fasting when he describes the goal of his faith, what he's aiming for, what he's hoping to attain. He doesn't say he hopes to go to heaven when he dies, though that's true. He says he hopes to one day be raised from the dead. So in Philippians 3, he says, kind of the whole goal, that I may know him, Christ, in the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Why? So that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. This is so central to our faith that this idea was enshrined in our most precious kind of beliefs in the Apostles' Creed in the Nicene Creed. One of the things that we recite every baptism we have, we all say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And half of you go, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to say it, um, right? But that's something we recite and say and has been said for over 2,000 years. And despite this, the resurrection of the dead tends to be one of our most neglected beliefs today. 
In fact, I remember several years ago, there's a really good friend of mine that, uh, that we were having a conversation, just talking. I don't quite remember what the conversation was about, but we were talking, and uh, he was, he's been in the church since he was a baby, uh, right? Uh, he's, he's always kind of grown up in the church. He'd been a part of our church for a while. He had great theology. He knew his Bible inside and out, but as we talked, it became super clear that he had never heard of the resurrection of the dead. He had been raised in church his whole life, and we started talking about it. He's like, whoa, 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 you're talking, what is that? I don't, I don't know what that is. And for him, it wasn't that he doubted Jesus was raised from the dead. He had just never been taught that. He never knew that reality. So for him, the story kind of ended when we died and got to heaven. That was the goal. That was what we were trying to do. And for many American Christians, that's exactly where the story ends for us. Now, why am I rambling on about this? Aren't we supposed to be preaching on a text? Uh, well, here's why. That is what this chapter is all about in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection of the dead. So throughout this whole letter, Paul has been correcting a church that has gone bonkers, all right? They have gone completely sideways. And he touches on everything from the fact that they're suing each other to the fact that some of them are visiting prostitutes to the fact that they're just going crazy and speaking in tongues in their worship services or they're getting drunk on communion wine or they're divorcing one another. There's all kinds of things that he's talking about to this church and correcting them. And now he's kind of getting towards the end of this letter. And as he approaches the end, he turns towards really the most important topic yet that he's talked about, the one that he really has the most heat, the one that he's going to talk, he's going to tell them, you may not be Christians because of what you believe around this. And that's about their understanding of the resurrection of the dead. Now, here's something important that it's easy to miss. The, the Corinthians, they're not denying the core essence of the gospel. What I mean is, they actually believe that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus rose again. They really do believe that. And in fact, Paul's argument kind of centers around that. He's like, hey, you guys know the message of the gospel. You guys believe this message. You believe that Jesus died and rose again. But what they were denying was that we ourselves would be raised from the dead in the future. So in other words, they thought heaven was their home that that was their eternal destination, that that was the goal of the Christian life, to get to heaven. And there's a few reasons why they kind of landed there that we kind of get glimpses of throughout this letter. Uh, one of those is they had this really backwards idea that, um, that what is spiritual is good and what's physical is bad. So they had this idea that like your soul, your spirit, that's what really matters. And your body, your physical self, actually just holds you down. It's like a prison for your, for your actual self. And so for them and their idea, they're like, hey, the best thing that can happen to you is to be freed from your body. That's the best thing. When you die and you become this spirit in heaven, that's like the height of spirituality. Like that's what we all long for. Why would God want to limit us again? Why would God want to put us back in this sinful, broken, physical body? And the other reason that we kind of see is their own spiritual superiority. So they like to think of themselves as really spiritual. In fact, they wanted everyone else to see 
how elite they were in their spirituality. And so they took a lot of truths of Scripture, and they kind of twisted them a little bit so that way they could fit into it. So this is how it would look like. It's like, hey, the resurrection of the dead, we are the resurrection of the dead. Like, Jesus has raised us up. Like, we're already living inside of that. See, that's kind of what they would do with different things. And Paul pushes back strongly against them, and he says, hey, listen, guys, our future resurrection is essential to our faith. Like, it's core to our faith. Now, why would he say that? Because, I mean, I mean, just honestly, for many of us, if we look at it, we go, what's the big deal? That seems like such an extra like piece. What's the big deal? Well, Paul gives us a few reasons why it's a big deal. So the first thing, you guys with me still? Sorry, I had to, I had to go through a lot of stuff to get to this point. So, uh, so, so I'm taking you guys on a journey, all right? And we're finally, finally to the points. Um, all right, so first point, our future resurrection is connected to the resurrection of Christ. Our future resurrection is connected to the resurrection of Christ. So Paul argues that there is an unbreakable connection between Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection, so that to deny one is to deny the other. They are connected. In fact, Paul is just like talking in a circle in these few verses. He just keeps saying the same thing again. And three times he says this idea that, hey, to deny one is to deny the other. And so in verses 12 and 13, he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, so that's what they believe. Jesus is raised from the dead. That's the message they're holding on to. If that's true, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead of us? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So he makes this connection and ties it. And there's a couple things going on. One is just the logical argument of like, hey, whatever reason you would have for denying our resurrection could equally apply to Jesus. So if you're like, the spirit is really good, the physical is really bad, if that's what you believe, then why would Jesus raise from the dead? That seems to be saying the exact opposite of what you think is true. Or if you look at it and go, that just sounds like a fantasy. That sounds mythological that God would somehow take our decomposing bodies and bring them back to life. You could say the same thing about Jesus. Like, why, why would you believe that? So there's a logical argument he makes, but he goes even further than that. His idea is this. He stresses that Christians, followers of Jesus, are united to him. They are what he calls in Christ. And in Christ is a really important phrase in the Bible. In fact, it is the primary way Christians are referred to in Scripture. They are in Christ. And the idea is this, that by trusting in Jesus, we are so closely connected to him that we are in him and he is in us. We are in him and he is in us. So what happens to Jesus happens to us. His story becomes our story. So our lives are completely intertwined together. So I think about uh, Paul who's writing this letter. Before he was a follower of Jesus, he persecuted the church and oversaw murder of Christians. 
And as he's going to actively persecute the church further, Jesus appears to him and says something that I think absolutely transformed the way that he saw faith. Jesus comes to Paul and says, why are you persecuting me? Right? Now, Paul did nothing to Jesus. Jesus had already died, rose again, ascended into heaven. Paul had never met Jesus. None of that. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, listen, my people and me, we're connected. We're one. So that what happens to them happens to me. If you persecute my people, you're persecuting me. If you help them, serve them, love them, you are helping, serving, loving me. He connects them together. Our whole life, our whole identity is now completely wrapped up in who Jesus is. And if that's true, if it's true that we're so connected to Jesus, then that means that if he was raised, we're going to be raised as well. And that was the point Paul makes in verses 20 through 22. So he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, like a down payment of those who have died. For as by a man came death, referring to the fact that Adam sinned and brought death into the world, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So here's this point that Jesus, he's the first fruits, he's the down payment, the guarantee that we're going to be made like him. And just as Adam in the beginning sinned and brought death to all of us, so Jesus rises again and brings life and resurrection to his followers. And this is what baptism symbolizes, right? Like we, we had a couple weeks in a row that we baptized and we're going to be baptizing again in a few weeks. And baptism shows this idea that we have put on Christ, that we become united to Christ, that we are one with Christ, that we've now entered his story. And so as we go under the water, if you've been with us for a service, we always say this proclamation where we say, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. And that's a spiritual reality that we embrace that, hey, our old self is dead and now we walk in this new life in Jesus. But here's the deal. It's also a physical reality that our future hope is that one day death will be defeated and we will walk physically in a new way of life. We will be raised with him. And so Paul in Romans, when he talks about baptism in this, he says this in Romans 6, 5, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So here's the point. Jesus started something that can't be stopped. He set in motion things that will have eternal consequences. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't do it on his own. He did it connected to us. He did it united to us. And Jesus won't leave us as disembodied spirits while he walks around in a resurrected body. He actually brings us with him, he unites us with him, and where he has gone, we are headed. He paves the way for us. Now, Paul's argument is going to center around this whole idea. In fact, 
everything else is going to flow in these verses from this point. To deny your future resurrection is to deny the resurrection of Jesus. To deny one is to deny the other. They are that connected. It's to deny our union with Jesus. And in fact, it's to deny the very heart of the gospel. And if Jesus wasn't raised, then everything else comes crashing down. Our whole faith begins to crumble. And that's the point he goes to next. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus is central to the gospel. The resurrection of Jesus is central to the gospel. Now, some people might say, okay, so if we're not raised, Christ isn't raised, what's the big deal, right? Because in fact, there's many Christians today or people who claim to be Christians who nevertheless deny the resurrection of Jesus. So they say something along the lines of, hey, listen, the resurrection of Jesus is more like a myth. It's something that was there to inspire us, right? We're supposed to hear the story about the resurrection of Jesus and that's supposed to spur us on to be a good person. Uh, maybe that's supposed to help us see symbolically how God brings life out of death and good out of bad. But for Paul, the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus was the linchpin of the gospel. It held everything else together. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, everything falls apart. The whole gospel begins to unravel. And this is what he says in verses 14 and 15. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So here's the idea. If someone lies to you, are you more likely to trust them in the future or less likely to trust them in the future? Less likely, right? Like if someone lies to us, we're gonna be less likely to trust them. Now, if someone lies to us about really big, important things, that even knocks it down even more. And Paul's point is this. If we're lying about the resurrection of Jesus, if we're not being truthful about what we say we saw with our eyes, you shouldn't believe anything we say. You shouldn't take anything we say. We should take the whole New Testament and just rip it out because it all hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Everything that the apostles preached from the way they told us to live, the things we believe about God, all of that centered around the fact that Jesus was the one who died and rose again. Last week, we saw how Paul said, hey, listen, me, the apostles, 500 other people saw Jesus with our very eyes, risen from the dead. And if we lied about something like that, we're not trustworthy to teach you anything about God or life or how to live or what's the right thing to do. And that's why he says our preaching would be vain. It would be empty. It would be meaningless. It would just be words. And our trust in them would be misguided. And if that's the case, again, Paul has this little thread that goes through everything. It's like, if you deny the resurrection of Jesus, don't listen to anything we say. And if the gospel message isn't true, then we have no hope. We have no hope for salvation. We have no hope for forgiveness. 
we have no hope for relationship with God. Everything we have banked our lives on as followers of Jesus would just be empty and meaningless. And so in verses 16 and 17, he says, again, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The resurrection of Christ is this pillar that holds the whole structure up. And if you knock it down, everything crumbles. You see, the resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection is not just some secondary belief. It's not something that it's like, well, take it, leave it, doesn't really matter. It's not that central. No, it is essential to the very gospel we believe and embrace. And here's what that means. There's no room for half-hearted Christianity. And what I mean by that is Christianity that embraces kind of the ideals and morals of Christianity, but not really the truths that Jesus himself taught. The idea that, um, that we can have a little bit of Jesus, but not devote our entire lives to him. Because here's the point, either Jesus rose from the dead and everything he taught was true, or he didn't rise from the dead and we should look somewhere else for hope. Like those are our options. Like we don't have the option. The Bible's really good about keeping us from doing the thing we like to do, which is, hey, Jesus was a good teacher and I'm gonna grab some of his philosophy. Like the Bible's like, hey, he claimed to be God and he, he died and rose again. So either we embrace everything he taught as God or we just reject him outright as a crazy man or as a liar. So the resurrection of Jesus is central to the gospel. And the last thing, the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope beyond death. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope beyond death. So I'm convinced that one of the reasons that American Christians kind of undervalue the resurrection. And what I mean by that is uh, in the church, I feel like it's easier for us to see why the death of Jesus was important, right? We can see the death of Jesus and go, okay, I have sin. That sin has to be dealt with. Jesus takes my sin, dies on the cross in my place. Like that makes sense. But it's hard for us to always see the importance of why Jesus needed to rise again from the dead. Like, why does it matter? Like, Jesus died for my sin. Jesus dealt with that. Like, why does he need to rise again? And I think one of the reasons why we can have a hard time with that is we have this really dysfunctional relationship with death. Like, I feel like if we understood and grappled with death more, we'd be able to appreciate the resurrection of Jesus more. And in my life, as I'm sure with most of you, like I've rubbed shoulders with death more than I've ever wanted. And in that time, I've been able to reflect on my view of death and my appreciation of the resurrection. And I think back to like several years ago, my grandmother was on hospice care. So she spent about a month uh, in hospice, uh, essentially dying over the course of a month. And we got to journey with her in the last phase of her life, which was 
an honor, and it was an experience I won't forget. And one thing amazed me about others and about myself is that even in the house of death, we try to deny it and pull away from it. Even when death is staring us in the face, we squirm at it. <laughs> like, we're just like, we're just like, can we talk about sports or like movies or the news or like what's going on when we're in a house where someone literally is just dying and you're just being with them? It's so hard. We numb ourselves to the reality of what's happening. Like, it's really fascinating because you would think that we would see it and be hit with just the reality of death, and instead we actually pull away and numb ourselves further. And it makes sense. It's, we don't really have a category for it, and honestly, we just don't know what to do or what to say, right? It's like we don't know what to do or what to say in the face of death. And when death happens, the sting of death stays with us. And it lingers. And we don't know how to carry it. And so the best thing we know how to do is just move on with our lives and try to ignore it. And here's the deal. We'll talk more about this some next week. But the Bible sees death as this enemy. As this great enemy. As a tyrant that conquers every single person who has ever lived or will ever live. And right, the Bible kind of paints like three enemies that we have, Satan, sin, and death, and they all affect our lives. But there's something unique about death, because it's like Satan, some of us can resist Satan, some of us can fight our sin, none of us can do a dang thing about death. Like it's coming for us, it's heading for us whether we want it to or not, we don't know when it's coming, and we're just waiting for it. <laughs> like it's gonna happen unless Jesus comes back before then. And because of that, we tend to shy away, but actually the Bible wants us to press into it and to see death as the enemy that it is. See, if the dead are not raised and Christ is not raised, then here's what that means. Death has won, and we have no hope. If the resurrection is not true, then those who have died in Christ, have, they're dead and gone. There's no hope for them. And this is what Paul says in verses 18 and 19. He says, Then those also who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Have you ever heard uh, someone say like, hey, even if the gospel's not true, it's better to believe it and live this way than it is to not, right? Have you ever heard someone say something like that? It's like, hey, even if it's not true, like I'd rather believe it and live this way. In fact, it kind of even echoes a little bit of, think of like Karl Marx and his idea of like religion being the opiate of the masses. And the idea being, hey, even if it's not true, religion kind of keeps us happy, kind of makes us satisfied, helps us get through suffering. It's kind of like a drug uh, that kind of pushes us on and pushes us through. So it has benefits for society, even if it's just empty. What Paul does is he actually says the exact opposite. 
Paul actually says the exact opposite. He's like, hey, listen, if this isn't true, if the gospel's not true, if the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then we are to be pitied above everyone else on the earth. And why is that? Because, listen, being a follower of Jesus is hard. We walk in death. We might be persecuted. We face suffering. We deny ourselves pleasures. And for what? Like, why does it matter? If we're just going to die into nothingness, then our life literally doesn't matter. It doesn't. We can try to make up reasons why we think, but it's just empty. It's just vain. And that's why Paul later in verse 32, he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And that's a common phrase for essentially saying, hey, if the dead are not raised, let's just do whatever the heck we want. Let's go party. Let's have fun. Let's enjoy this life as much as we can because it doesn't matter. If hope is found only in this life, then who cares what we do? Why pursue community? Why forgive our enemies? Why go through any struggle that we're having? Why show up on a Sunday morning? There are other things we could do. Why would we devote our lives to a lie? Why would we devote our lives to fiction? But we do have hope in Jesus. But Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus did something that no one else has ever done before. He did what was seen as impossible. He came back to life. And not just like a temporary thing, like Jesus was raised and he lives to never die again. And so the tyrant who reigned over every man and woman who has ever lived, death couldn't keep his grasp on Jesus. And now, here's what's happened. Because Jesus has rose again, death is wounded and beaten. The image is death has, uh, has, is laying on the ground, bleeding out, dying a slow and painful death. And one day, death will die. Like, that's our hope. One day, death is going to die. The enemy is going to be defeated. The tyrant who ruled over our lives, the tyrant who kept us in fear, his tyranny will be over. And we're going to breathe the air into our lungs. We're going to see the beauty of the world without death in a new heavens and a new earth. Now, where do we go from here? Just a couple things as we wrap up. For followers of Jesus, I think walking away from something like this, it's important for us to renew our hope in the resurrection and not just Jesus' resurrection, but our future resurrection as well. And Paul kind of does this thing here where he lists all the like negatives, right? Here's what happens if you deny this. But what's amazing is we can flip it around and the opposite can actually be true. That we see all the things that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus. So because Jesus was raised, we're going to be raised from the dead too. Because Jesus was raised, 
The message of the gospel is true and beautiful and trustworthy. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, our faith matters. And our faith actually sustains us and keeps us. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, our sins are forgiven and we are washed clean. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, death doesn't get the last word over our lives. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have hope not just in this life, but hope for the life to come. And this changes the way we live. This changes the way we see life. We're going to talk more about this next week, but this matters deeply. Like, just think of all the things. One, this means your body's not an accident. Like, God actually gave you a physical body, and he didn't give it to you as somehow this shell that one day you're going to throw away. Like, God's going to raise your body back to life. Your body is a part of you, and God gave it to you as a gift. This also means God cares not just about the spiritual, but about the physical, which is really good news when you're sick and when you're hurting and when you have disabilities and impairments. It's really good news because God actually cares about you physically and actually can bring healing into your life. And here's maybe the biggest mind-blowing thing. What we do on this earth matters, right? When we don't have this idea of what God's going to do in the world and bring in a new creation, what can tend to happen is we just kind of look at this life as like, hey, let's just get through it. It doesn't matter if it gets better or worse. Let's just get through it. Maybe we can kind of show God that we're good people or that we're good Christians or fill in the blank, and then we get to leave, and just leave it all behind. But because God is actually renewing this world, because God is bringing heaven to earth, that means what we do in this world has eternal significance. That means the way that we serve and love each other matters. That means we actually care about this world and want to see the kingdom of God to come through into the world. Like, it means we don't just throw everything away. It means our jobs have meaning beyond just a J-O-B. They're a way of bringing God's goodness and kingdom into the world to see heaven invade earth. Because we will be raised on this new heavens and new earth, what we do matters we do in this world matters. We actually get to partner with God as he's rebuilding and remaking and renewing this world. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that you can see that everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. That's where it all comes back to. We follow Jesus, not just because he was really good, though he was. We follow Jesus, not just because he forgave and was welcoming, though he is, but we follow Jesus because he is the one who faced death and came back to life. Because he's the one who took our sin and died, and he came back victorious, overcoming the enemy of death. In fact, Jesus did everything that he said he would do. 
and he tells us to follow him, to trust him, that we don't have to like build up all this stuff or try to perform for him, but actually we just give our lives and follow him. And when that happens, when we trust in him, it's not just that we get to go to heaven when we die, but we actually get to join him as he restores the world. And we get to live with him forever in this renewed creation, in this new heavens and new earth, the world made new as it was intended to be. Would you stand with me?